Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That it, with episode 449 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here to break down everything that happened this week across NXT and AEW with both promotions coming out of special events over Memorial Day weekend NXT Battleground and AEW Double or Nothing largely delivering differing opinions about where they stand within each brand's hierarchy NXT Battleground most saying has been the best premium live event that the NXT brand has put on since the TakeOver moniker was ended, while AEW Double or Nothing, many say, was one of the most disappointing AEW pay-per-views to date. Now, we're going to get into all of that and more on this episode, which will largely center around discussing what happened on television this week coming out of those large shows. Before we get going with the episode, as always, a reminder that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about So please do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. It's also important to remember, I happen to love the number five. Which means you can become an official getting overhead for only $5 a month by joining us over at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. You get bonus audio, news posts, and much more. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over more than anything else. You're supporting the show and vintage Chris Vanini and yours truly would greatly appreciate that. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at getting overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, all week long. You also get to vote in polls around premium live events and pay-per-views. Join us on Twitter spaces and our DMs are open so you can tweet us, DM us questions, whether it's for the last word, whether it's just topics you want us to cover on our shows. Send in those DMs, send in those questions via Twitter, and we will get you on air. Now, today is going to be a little bit of an interesting show because we are discussing NXT and AEW as always, but both simultaneously were their first shows coming out of these special events from Memorial Day weekend. And the shows actually went in vastly different directions. NXT focused heavily on storytelling. Yeah, there were a couple matches on the show, one of which was notably great, the main event. But they largely were setting up storylines for the future, introducing a couple new characters that are extremely newsworthy. And more than anything else, just progressing storylines to get to where they're going next. Whereas with AEW Dynamite, some of that certainly did happen on the show but it was much more focused on high-octane in-ring competition, almost as a week that's a bit of a break, let's say, from a storytelling standpoint. Again, there was still some storytelling on Dynamite, don't get me wrong, but the way the card was built was, hey, let's put on some high-quality matches that we can then lead into storytelling, and then the way they set up Rampage for this coming Friday was just, hey, let's just put four or five title matches on one show and give people good wrestling, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, They're just two completely different shows. Now, in terms of second looks, as I did on Tuesday's episode, I should say as Chris and I did on Tuesday's episode with WWE Night of Champions, I did rewatch NXT Battleground, most of it. I did rewatch AEW Double or Nothing, most of that as well. I actually don't have anything to go back over with Double or Nothing because that is the show that I watched on the big screen the most live with NXT Battleground 
on the second screen, kind of pausing, going back and forth between both. It was very difficult to watch those shows simultaneously. So I am going to have a second look at NXT Battleground. I am not going to have a second look at AEW Double or Nothing, just again, because there were no notes, there were no great adjustments, nothing like that. So because of all of that, we are going to start today's show with our breakdown of NXT, including that second look at NXT Battleground. And then the second half of the show is going to be AEW. As always, you can check our episode description for timestamps. That way, if you only follow one brand or the other, you can just jump to the spot where you want to be. But as always, I hope you listen to our complete breakdowns of NXT and AEW. And I hope some of you who only listen for the AEW part, perhaps consider tuning into NXT again. It is not your black and gold NXT by any means. However, the in-ring product is getting better. The character work is getting better. And like I mentioned at the top of the show, NXT Battleground was the best premium live event that this brand has put on since the end of TakeOver, culminating with the retirement, I guess you could say, of the black and gold branded NXT. So let's kick things off with a second look at NXT Battleground, starting with Isla Dragunov and Dijak. I said on the podcast, hey, I'm kind of going between grades here. I'm not sure where I want to land. I'm staying at 4.75 stars and an A plus for that match. It was just terrific. Incredible story. It just didn't really do what it needed to to get that full five stars compared to some other five star matches we've seen across WWE, um, AEW and New Japan already this year. But man, it was freaking great. And no matter what brands you do or do not watch, you need to see that match. Now, that said, I do need to actually upgrade the Tiffany Stratton and Lyra Valkyria match to 4.25 stars and an A. The couple minor slips that I mentioned on the instant reaction, they were easy to see while kind of going back and forth, starting and stopping watching live. But in the progress of the match, it was smooth overall and really smart, well-executed finish for a star-making moment for Tiffany. Now, that worked on Sunday. We'll discuss soon what Stratton did on Tuesday. In lieu of praising the Carmelo Hayes entrance, I made that comment about New York because I'm a New York sports fan more than, of course, Boston. But on rewatch, it really kind of gave you goosebumps the way they did that. Trick Williams remains a great second. I know there will be some point one day where Trick breaks off, but I just truly hope they are able to stay together in this exact same type of relationship that they have on screen and do like a Shawn Michaels diesel type of run from NXT to the main roster. Hopefully they start on that next year and spend at least a couple of years together before breaking up because they are a legitimately special pairing that just works so well together. It would be nice for Trick Williams. And I think this is what's going to be happening coming up here in the next couple, two, three, four, five, six months. I think Trick needs to really get into the mid-card division as a single. And with Mello having his back, maybe even win the North American Championship six months from now, seeing those two guys carrying gold simultaneously would be a really special look. And he's deserving of it. I mean, from an in-ring standpoint, he still needs to get better. But the personality, the character, the promo, all that stuff is there for Trick. And maybe he just needs a title where it's going to force him to be in the ring over and over again to kind of develop that last part, which is the in-ring. And he's still good in-ring. He's just nowhere near great yet. But he seemingly has that potential. He's athletic. He's big. He can throw people around. Something else I overlooked was the intensity before the bell in that main event. It really hit. This was Breaker's best match that did not involve a veteran like Tommaso Ciampa or Dolph Ziggler. He has figured out the heel character in and out of the ring. Now, there's rumors that there might be an imminent call-up for him, which I still believe would be rushed 
I think he needs to be there up until WrestleMania next year. But these extra two months have helped him massively. So if they do call him up, hey, at least it wasn't immediately after WrestleMania, I would still keep him down there for another 10 months. And it was so late Sunday that I didn't spend much time on the instant reaction, breaking down Battleground as a whole. And I'm not gonna waste a lot of time doing that here. But as I already mentioned on the show, especially when rewatching it, it was NXT's best premium live event since the end of the takeovers. Truly impressive what this group has been able to do from a developmental standpoint. Now, granted, some of that is because they do have some experienced veterans in there, which NXT always had, but Isla Dragunov, Dijak, these guys are people who could easily be on the main roster yesterday, you know? Um, But they are helping elevate everything else that's happening in NXT. And again, those two final matches on the show, the co-main events for the two titles, did not involve that veteran talent. I mean, Lyra Valkyria certainly is experienced, no question. But in terms of NXT, those are four you know, relative neophytes compared to people like Dijak and Isla. And it was just impressive to see what they were able to do when featured in a spot like that. So credit to NXT, Shawn Michaels, and everyone that worked on Battleground, because that truly was an extremely entertaining premium live event on Sunday. So with that, let's go ahead and break down NXT from this week. Uh, Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams hit the ring talking their talk like usual. Uh, He was quickly interrupted by Noam Dar and his crew, who surprisingly, at least to me, got massive heat right away. Dar put himself over, Trick called them out for cheating, and Melo said he's on a higher level than all of them. Dar challenged and admitted to trying to catch Hayes at less than 100%. Melo got pissed at the mention of load management, agreeing to fight in the main event. It was kind of convoluted overall, but a smart move to put the new crew, which needs a name, by the way, on a higher tier. Dar's group later trash-talked Trick backstage, with him shooting right back at them in a pretty fun back and forth. So we got Mello against Dar for the NXT Championship in the main event. This started hot right at the bell. The women got in Trick's face with Mensa trying to catch him from behind, only to get punched in the face. Somehow the referee ejected Trick and let the heels remain. Dar hit his spinning elbow for a false finish, immediately moving into a knee bar. Dar then hit another elbow with Hayes immediately coming back with a lifted cutter. The women distracted the referee with Mensa pulling the top rope to knock Mello down. That led Dragon Lee and Nathan Frazier out to take care of Mensa. Mello caught them and Dar with a splash outside, following with nothing but net to retain the title. And then as Mello was celebrating, walking backwards up the ramp, and whenever someone does that at the end of the show, you know he's about, he or she is about to get attacked. He was indeed suddenly attacked from Baron Corbin and completely laid out in the middle of the ring with end of days. It may have been the best end of days that Corbin's delivered since the one he did to Becky Lynch, which was, by the way, incredible in that mixed tag team match that they did. Well, damn, there's a lot to unpack here overall, okay? I will admit I briefly rolled my eyes when Dar's crew initially answered Mello to start the show, but that was short-lived. Noam's like antagonism of Mello in that opening segment may have been a bit torturous, but the main event was an absolute banger at four stars A-. minus. The twists and turns of a back-and-forth match Trick being ejected, the heels having a four-on-one advantage, the faces saving Mello, then the high-octane finish. It was just an absolute blast. Dar is so damn good in the ring, and this was another incredible way to further raise Mello's stature coming out of his already big battleground win. And then you have the return of Corbin, who is in more need of a top-to-bottom refresh than anyone on the main roster. 
Now, he did look exactly the same, and this may just be a temporary excursion. We have to see if he's going to go the Apollo Crews route or the Dolph Ziggler route. But spending some time in NXT should do him well either way. And Melo beating Corbin will only serve to continue further elevating him as champion. I definitely do not want them to do a repeat of the title swap like they did with Breaker and Ziggler. And then going back to Braun afterward. Braun needed to be established then. Melo is already established in NXT. It is not the same deal. Wesley and Tyler Bate fought the dyad. Wes backstage sold soreness from Battleground and was proud of himself for overcoming odds to again retain the title. Dyad threatened on behalf of Joe Gacy with Bate getting Wes's back, saying he only wanted to compete and they're still friends. Wes had a combination flying Hurricanrana and arm drag, which is a little bit weak, but I've never seen it really done with a non-luchador, I guess, before. Suddenly, Mustafa Ali appeared in the crowd wearing a leather jacket, his hair all free-flowing behind him, and he joined commentary, reminding them that he's a free agent and can go wherever he wants. Corbin, by the way, is a free agent as well. He said, Ali did, that he's obsessed with the idea of becoming a champion, which clearly means he's going after the North American title. Wes rolled through a sunset flip into a leaping DDT, then hit a cardiac kick on Dyad before the faces combined for stereo corkscrews with bait hitting Tyler Driver 97 for the win. Ivy Nile attacked Ava after the bell with the Creed brothers and Dyad also brawling to the back. Gacy then attacked Wes from behind with Ali making the save to a huge pop. So just like with the opening segment and the opening storyline, a lot to unpack here as well. First, this match was damn good. It was pretty much as good as one could expect with talents of this caliber. The way Ali came in was definitely eye-catching, and this seems to be setting up for a six-man next week with Ali either turning on Wes or challenging him as a babyface after it's over. What's interesting, though, is the heels are also feuding with the Creeds, while Ivy got into it with Cora Jade earlier in the show. So there's a lot going on at once, which is one of the fun things about NXT. It just constantly feels lively with intertwining storylines. I did breathe a sigh of relief when Ali announced he was in NXT as a free agent, which means he'll surely be back on the main roster sooner than later, maybe after playing a short-term role. And I do remember Ali previously saying in interviews that he actively wanted to do some work in NXT. So this is not something that's against his will or something he doesn't want to do. I'm definitely interested to see where it goes. He would seemingly be a great transitional champion between Wes and whoever is next for the title because his main roster stature would excuse Wesley, you know, losing. I wouldn't mind if he spent a few months down there, but I certainly don't want him there for a year or anything like that. Most exciting about bringing Corbin and Ali down to NXT is that they seem to be taking advantage of the significant momentum from Battleground by bringing two named superstars in. The timing is perfect. And for those like myself, who enjoy the show, hopefully this is the start of WWE putting more emphasis on NXT and promoting it again. I still think it needs to be promoted more on Raw. They're on the same network. They're one night after each other. They really should be doing a better job of that. But maybe this is just the first step, and I hope it is. So Jade fought Nile, referring back to what I was just talking about. Cora held court in the women's locker room, excusing her semifinal loss on a black eye, demanding attention and complaining. Ivy confronted, saying Cora's lucky she even got a chance, which Ivy did not. They exchanged barbs while Niall dropped the mic before leaving. This kind of led to a match with the best consistent action we have seen from Ivy to date in the ring. 
Ava interfered just as Nyla was gaining momentum. Ivy choked her over the top rope, only to get caught from behind and hit with Jade's spike DDT with the heel getting the victory. I always want women's matches to go longer, but particularly this one, because I loved the work and the intensity we were getting from these two. But the finish obviously made complete sense given Ivy's ongoing feud, and that resulted in a backstage blow up leading to a women's singles and men's tag team match both next week. Tiffany Stratton held a tiff-bration. Uh, Stratton put herself in the title's history over. She said she's the epitome of a true WWE superstar and invited the whole locker room to praise her. No one showed up. So she promised to name her first challenger, and then they walked out. She announced the number one contender battle royal and said she'd hold the title as long as she wants. And then confetti, balloons, and steam kind of came out everywhere. Thea Hale jumped in the ring to punch her in the face, and some other baby faces also attacked, with Tiffy eating a dropkick through the ropes. This kind of was awful. I mean, I'd love to come here and tell you that uh, Tiffany rocked it and gave a great promo coming out of her title win, which, by the way, I mean, I'll just mention it again in case you did not hear the instant reaction. Super impressive. The Stratton and Valkyria match. Like, Stratton looked as good as she ever has in the ring, and this was a great opportunity to, to kind of continue that momentum for her. Instead, again, let me repeat, this was kind of awful. We've heard Stratton speak before, and she has not been this bad since the start of her NXT run, I would say. It was clearly a full memorization scripted promo. The writing was okay, but the delivery was rough. She forgot her place twice, and it was just clunky from start to finish. And look, it's developmental, right? This is the point of NXT existing these days. But man, she has a long, long way to go on the mic to be even somewhat believable. She needs more improvement in promos than I thought she did coming into this, and that is super unfortunate. Block at zero! Gigi Dolan fought JC Jane in a weaponized steel cage match with an additional stipulation of no escape. We got a damn good video package recapping their partnership and feud before JC attacked Gigi during her entrance. There were belt whips, chain chokes, and a garbage can shot. Actually, there were a lot of garbage can shots uh, early in the match. Dolan ate a neck breaker into a pile of chairs, a spine buster into a trash can, and took a boot to the face backwards into another trash can, recalling the door spot that started their feud. The finish was Gigi putting JC through a table with a Uranagi off the top rope into the ring, and she got the win, the baby face, after about 14 minutes. Dolan and the finish got a big pop. My breakdown here wasn't overly detailed because there weren't many great sequences in the match, but the individual spots were well done with the right winner and a hot opener to the show coming off of Battleground. I went 3.25 stars and a B. Normally not a match I'd grade, except it was such a featured match. I felt it was worthwhile. This was an appropriate conclusion to the feud. It didn't necessarily live up to my expectations. Ultimately, it was a good decision to keep this off Battleground. It would have been the quote-unquote worst match on the card had it been on the show. Danny Palmer cut her first promo, demanding to find out the identity of the attacker who promised during Battleground to reveal herself on Tuesday. As Palmer was distracted watching a video of all the attacks on the Titantron, she got taken down from behind, eating a falcon arrow before Blair Davenport revealed herself from underneath the hoodie, as we all expected. It was more of a tepid response than I thought, but she's one of the most talented women in NXT, especially from a work rate standpoint. And getting her back, it's a great development for the division. She could be on the main roster by this time next year, without a question. Stax fought Joe Coffey. We saw footage of Tony D'Angelo getting booked last week 
Gallus backstage was proud of themselves for retaining the titles and made fun of him getting arrested. Stax confronted them for being rats and stupidly attacked one on three, getting his ass beat until referee separated them. It was just an incredibly dumb move, but we saw more personality from Gallus here than in their entire United States run to this point. The match was made after it was announced the other Gallus boys had been kicked out of the arena for the night. Stax held his own for a while, but after a superplex, he got dodged into the steel steps with Coffee hitting Glasgow send off a pounce in the corner and all the best for the Bells, a rebound discus lariat for the win. Impressive performance by Coffee. He looked good. I've always believed the finisher name needs to be cut in half. Just best for the Bells. or I mean, you just got to shorten it, man. It's way too long. Um, we also saw improved selling from Stax in the ring here, and they're continuing to build this D'Angelo family feud against Gallus. And I do believe once that title match happens, that is where they will change hands. Hank Walker and Tank Ledger agreed backstage that their connection grew stronger after fighting each other a couple weeks ago. They did the stepbrothers thing where they counted to three and kept saying the same favorite things. Malik Blade and Idris Anofe came up doubting them and failed at the same game, trying to do it themselves. It's pretty clear that Ledger is the total package already. Innate athleticism, talent, charisma. He speaks effortlessly and acted pretty damn well, as did Walker, who was actually no slouch himself. They are working well as a tag team. This was a fun segment with them juxtaposed against a more experienced but less cohesive team in Blade and Anofe, and I am kind of curious to see how this develops. Drew Gulak and Charlie Dempsey held a training session at Chase U with Duke Hudson, telling Thea Hale she doesn't have to do the class given how they insulted her at Battleground. She went wild wanting to prove herself, and the heels eventually decided to give her a chance. But we never got further resolution in terms of what happened here. There were two storylines, one on NXT, one on AEW, where like, it seemed they were both set up to give a second half later in the show, and neither of them ever got back to it. So I was super frustrated by that. Uh, Mr. Stone yelled at Von Wagner after last week's disqualification, with Wagner's defense being that Luca Crucifino deserved it. Stone said Wagner has anger management issues stemming from the past, and it's time for him to speak with a therapist. Vaughn said he'd think about it. At least we got a little development here. Still, my interest remains almost entirely at the bottom of whatever scale you could create. Uh, Reggie confronted Axiom, who called him Reggie. So he said his people always call him Scripps, but he would explain that another time. Okay. Uh, Reggie thanked Axiom for removing his mask and helping him see the light, saying he's got his back against Dabakato for that reason. Then he thanked him and walked away. Could they really not come up with an explanation knowing this was the angle they were doing? Like, you know, they're never going to explain it another time now. They say, hey, we'll tell you later. They never tell you later. Here's one I literally came up with Tuesday night, right after the segment while I was writing my notes. They called him scripts because he flips a lot, like flipping the script. There, done. That's why he's named that. Move on. We don't need any further explanation. Uh, but now it's Reggie, no mask, but he's still called scripts. What are we doing here? I just, it doesn't make any sense. Axiom and scripts, if they put them in a tag team, maybe there's something there. But Axiom was running hot before they kind of saddled him with this Reggie feud. And all this is doing is cooling him off. So they really got to figure out what they're doing. So as you can tell, largely enjoyed what we got from NXT. Very storyline-driven episode, as I mentioned. I also largely enjoyed what we got Wednesday night from AEW Dynamite. And this, by the way, is after really the last couple of weeks not enjoying what both NXT and AEW gave us. I thought the go-homes were extremely weak for Battleground and Double or Nothing, respectively. Yet, both brands really seem to be 
kind of charting a right course coming out of those shows. Again, very different. NXT focused on storytelling, AEW a little bit more on in-ring action, a lot bit more, I should say, on in-ring action. But nevertheless, both very entertaining shows on Tuesday and Wednesday, respectively, given the last couple of weeks have been rough, in my opinion, for both of those brands. So with that, let's move over to AEW. And this breakdown is going to be completely about Dynamite, everything from Rampage. We already discussed on the instant reaction, and anything we didn't was not important enough to bring up here anyway. As I mentioned, really good in-ring show, despite more than half the matches kind of being thrown together without that direct of a storyline purpose. But nevertheless, some of the finishes and results from those matches did lead into storylines that should continue next week on Dynamite, obviously Rampage as well, and then going forward. Dynamite opened with Blackpool Combat Club fighting the Lucha Bros and Bandito. Brian Danielson was on commentary, as we've discussed now on numerous episodes. Not that I would expect him to be in this. It was a six-man, not an eight-man, of course. But Danielson just really seems, they seem to be keeping him away from in-ring action as much as they can. He did have one notable run between the ropes during the double or nothing match, the anarchy in the arena. But other than that, everyone else has been wrestling. He's been almost entirely in a managerial role for Blackpool Combat Club, which continues to make me question, like, what's his health status? Are they just trying to limit his reps? Like, what exactly is happening with him? Uh, There was a 60-second vertical suplex spot that Bandito did on Wheeler Yuta midway through the match. I've never seen that before to that length of time. It was super impressive. But at the same time, it still just resulted in a two-count like any other regular vertical suplex. The Lucha Bros then did a double tope on Hero with Bandito hitting a frog splash for another near fall. Eventually, BCC simultaneously took out everyone in and around ringside with Yuta hitting the hammer elbows and winning via pinfall with a seatbelt on Bandito. Danielson expressed his pride in Yuta after the bell, and this was the second big moment in a handful of days for him because he is the one who pinned Kenny Omega at double or nothing. Exciting match for sure. I went four stars and an A minus, and I like what they are doing featuring Yuta given his profile is so much lower than the other three in Blackpool Combat Club. There's just not much more to this, unfortunately, because nothing else developed over the remainder of the show. Matt Jackson was with the Elite getting taped up backstage, saying BCC brings out the worst in them. Nick repeated that they are the heart, soul, and spirit of AEW and would not be kept down. Hangman Page said the numbers game is all BCC has going for them. Dark Order then interrupted, giving Hangman shit for being with the Elite in very passive-aggressive fashion. Hangman admitted that Omega left the country, but clarified he's not in Canada, with the clear insinuation being that he went to Japan. Now, this further solidified the fact that it's going to be Kota Ibushi linking up with the elite sooner than later. After Double or Nothing, Omega, I think he made a comment to the crowd about bringing two friends from Japan, and the other would almost assuredly be Kazuchika Okada if they were going to add someone to this group. The question then would be, who links up with BCC as their sixth? That is, unless someone in the elite is not clear to wrestle. If BCC needs to add a sixth, I could see it being Shooter because he would side with Mox and that would also give them an NJPW talent on their side. It was a well-executed backstage segment, especially with Dark Order getting involved. I mentioned this in the NXT breakdown. There were two segments, one on NXT, one on AEW, where I thought, oh, they're going to come back to this later and give us more depth from a storytelling perspective. And they didn't. Like It seemed like Hangman approaching Dark Order and having a conversation was something we would see later, and they just didn't show us that. So I'm sure they'll do it next week, I I guess, I hope. But I was really interested. And 
when you are talking about keeping viewers retained to your program and you do this at an early juncture in your show, then coming back to it later and paying that off is exactly what you should be doing. AEW does that occasionally. Every once in a while, like once a month, they'll do a show long storyline and you'll feel, oh, I really got my money's worth or my time's worth investing two hours because these things that I was really interested in played out over the course of the show. They had a chance to do it here and did not. And I was disappointed by that. Don Callis was interviewed with Nosuke Takeshka after coming out to no music and consistent booing. As Callis said, he was responsible for Omega's success and Kenny chose the wrong friends. He said he lost a nephew but gained a son who is better than Omega and all of the other greats. Takeshka then said he will destroy the elite and Omega. Callis said he was building a new family that would cut the elite out of AEW. This was the most legitimate, not cheap heat that AEW has gotten for an act in a long ass time. Real good shit here. There's not much more to comment on because it was short and they didn't really say anything new, but the heat that they got was legitimate. It was real. And usually AEW is largely getting cheap heat or smart mark type of heat. Not here. This was real and it was awesome. I should have said it was real and it was spectacular for a Seinfeld reference. I messed up. Nevertheless, you got it on the back end. Uh, Tony Khan made his sixth, 18th, 42nd consecutive announcement. I've lost count on Dynamite. He basically said two lines, the second being that CM Punk would return for the debut of AEW Collision at the United Center. To quote Chris Tucker, we know this, man. You'd think there would have been a video package or anything else accompanying this. Nope, just a crowd shot with a mixed reaction and one guy trying to get a bunch of other people to cheer. Now, I've already said my piece on Punk and this decision, so I'm not going to bore you with it again. But this should have been announced last week, or it should have been a poorly hidden surprise like last time to build anticipation. Separating it for a mediocre pop just so you could do another announcement was incredibly eye-rolling. It was ridiculous to do it this way and a huge step back from the improvements that Tony has actually made on camera over the last couple of weeks. He was like as awkward as ever here, almost trying to force a word count. He came across like, one of those real life robots that they're making these days. I remember when Tony had no desire to appear on TV a few years ago, and now he like puts himself on weekly, except it seems like when he does appear, it's someone forcing him to do it against his will, despite him being the creative lead and the one that's booking himself on the show. It's just entirely awkward. Please stop with these stand-up announcements. Please stop with these fake announcements every week. Just get to the wrestling and the storytelling. Adam Cole and Britt Baker fought Chris Jericho and Soraya. This was the main event. And there was no additional build leading into it, which was kind of frustrating too. Jericho tripped Baker, who got good and appropriate heat. The outcast came down, but Akaru Shida beat them anyway with a kendo stick. Baker went to the top rope, so Jericho covered Soraya, only to eat a splash. Cole was in walls of Jericho for a while, so Britt put on her glove and put Jericho in the mandible claw, then got him to the ground for lockjaw. Soraya came back with Rampage on Baker, for a regular near fall and commentary didn't even really point out that it was her finisher. She got spiked on her head here, but it looked bad. She was okay. Uh, Jericho tried to use the bat with Britt ducking and both of them super kicking him. Cole then lowered the boom for the win. This was eons better than the singles match at double or nothing. A lot of this excitement for it was like the man on woman parts, which is obviously totally fine in the mixed match, but was also against the rules as they were stated leading into it. It was to the point that they had tags where 
when a man or woman tags in, the other person is supposed to be an automatic replacement. But they weren't treated that way later in the match where like Britt Baker actually had to tag out and get Cole in the ring so he could lower the boom and pin Jericho when she didn't need to do that because it's a mixed tag team match. And if Jericho's legal, that means Cole's legal. I also questioned why the women got involved, the outcasts and Sheeta, but JAS and Roderick Strong were nowhere to be found. Regardless, it was a lot of fun and an appropriate main event. I hope this ends the Cole and Jericho portion of the angle and Cole can finally move on. Bullet Club got interviewed in the ring with Jay White focused on Ricky Starks losing the Battle Royal just like they did. They called out FTR for being dumb because Starks clearly doesn't have friends. The promo just meandered and went on and on until FTR entered. Bullet Club suggested they may want to join. Juice Robinson then blindsided Dax Harwood with a punch with a fist of quarters and FTR got obliterated. Despite them saying his name like five minutes earlier, Starks conveniently ran out after it was all over. He called White a punk-ass bitch and challenged him for a rematch next week. Now, Dax's sell on the punch was freaking outstanding. He went down like a sack of potatoes, and I thought it was really cool just to do a loaded fist with a bunch of quarters. Unique, we never really see that. It was just great. Other than that, though, this was an extremely rough segment with White and Robinson really struggling to carry it, and the entire thing is just relatively meh until the fighting starts. But the brawl and Starks' quick promo at the end, both of those were solid. And my hope is coming out of this, whatever they do here, they start utilizing Jay White the way he should be utilized. Because right now, it is leaving a lot to be desired. Swerve Strickland fought Big Bill and Trent Beretta in a triple threat. Extremely uncommon for AEW to do a triple threat, let alone a random one on television. Swerve hit his strike kick on Bill during a cover following Bill hitting a boss man slam. Beretta dodged the Swerve stomp, hitting a running knee and pile driver. Swerve hit Bill with the stomp on the apron, which looked really dangerous because he was sitting up. And then he beat Beretta with a crucifix pinning combination. I'd have liked this win to be a bit more definitive over Trent. But Swerve did take out both guys in succession on the way to the win, and commentary put him over for being smart. Since we basically never see him on Dynamite, it seemed clear to me that they're going to do what I speculated after Double or Nothing, which was push him as number one contender for the international title, and perhaps even the guy who takes it off Orange Cassidy. I was going to say that I would bet good money on that happening at this point, except 30 minutes later, the match was announced for next week's Dynamite. Now, they definitely could change the title next week, as commentary did get back to selling Orange Cassidy's hand injury more emphatically during a match he was in later in the show. But I'm less certain of the title change given it's such a sudden announcement and they didn't build it up. Hey, this is happening in two weeks. They do a lot of build next week. Then they have the match and you say, oh, you know what? Maybe Swerve's going to win the title here. If it's not a title change, then no problem doing it next week. But if they are switching it, again, I would have spent more time on it. In terms of what happens to Keith Lee and that feud, who knows? Maybe he factors in if Swerve tries to cheat and he helps Orange win. I'm just happy to see Swerve actually getting featured instead of being in an endless go-nowhere feud on the B-Show. Orange Cassidy and Darby Allen fought Gates of Agony. The heels just completely stopped tagging at one point. Orange countered into Stundog Millionaire before Darby hit Code Red and Coffin Drop for the win. Exciting action in a big versus small match. Darby does have an awesome cannonball Tope Suicida. It is crazy high impact. Probably my favorite move that he does. I just love when he does that. Uh, Swerve and Brian Cage stalked after the bell. That led Sting down with Tony Schiavone nearly giving himself an aneurysm. The heels chose not to attack despite having a five-on-three advantage. 
I presumed that we would get a six man or something here as part as of the longer build to Orange and Swerve. But with that match next week, I don't even really know what they're doing here. Wardlow and Arn Anderson said there are no limits to how far they're willing to go with Wardlow challenging Luchasaurus next. I mean, we kind of already saw Wardlow against Luchasaurus at double or nothing, but it will surely make for good TV as long as they don't drag this out too much. Tony Storm backstage said she's feeling great winning the championship and luck had nothing to do with it. Then the outcast talked about fans being lucky to watch her wrestle at upcoming house shows. Okay. It would have been nice to actually get some direction here, given the circumstances of the title change, a promo, something that explains, you know, talks about Hater a little bit. Maybe we could have gotten an update on Hater. We didn't get any of that. The TBS championship was on the line. Chris Statlander defending against Nyla Rose. Stat cut an emotional tape promo about returning to AEW and winning the title. Taya Valkyrie watched from backstage. She's already had two title matches. What's she watching? I don't get that. Uh, Stat hit a great blue thunderbomb on the larger Rose. After Nyla hit a bunch of cannonballs, Stat got her down in the corner with a brilliant 450 splash to retain the title. Extremely strong showcase for Stat. Totally refreshing to see the title defended by someone who can actually wrestle. This match was night and day from the shit we were getting with Jade Cargill. Also, they really need to put Nyla Rose on TV more frequently. It is odd how she's almost in this like Lance Archer role where they forget about her for extended periods of time. She comes in, has a good match, and then just disappears again. Nyla needs to be a factor for the women's division. And hey, maybe with Collision, she will be. Let's hope. The acclaimed and daddy ass were interviewed on stage with Billy Gunn apologizing for letting them down in the trio's title match. Max Caster said they got screwed out of the tag team titles months ago, while Anthony Bowen said Billy deserves to hold gold again. So they were all still focused on winning the titles. Nothing really wrong with this in terms of the execution, but the concept of like, we will get another title match because we want one for a babyface group is not really that sound. They didn't actually make a case for why they deserve one. And this is another reason why the match with House of Black never should have been forced onto Double or Nothing in the first place. Because there's no way that House of Black should lose the titles to acclaimed and daddy ass, which means instead of just having one loss and moving on, you're now going to have them lose twice. Hook, a guy who does not speak, was in the ring for an interview. He was obviously immediately interrupted, this time by El Faction Ingobernable. Jose talked shit. They went to attack. Jungle Boy eventually ran down to even the sides and cleared the heels out of the ring with chair shots. And then Hook suplexed Jose to end it with the guys fist pumping. This was fine. I guess Andrade, they're saving his return for collision. Roosh wasn't there. You know, what are we really doing? So folks, that was it from AEW this week. As I mentioned, a wrestling heavy edition of Dynamite in terms of what really hit. The Statlander and Nyla Rose match was solid. The mixed tag team main event, the triple threat, and the six-man match with Blackpool Combat Club, Lucha Bros, and Bandito. Real good wrestling. You know, storytelling, we could have gotten a little bit more. I would have liked a little bit more coming out of a pay-per-view event, but there's plenty of time. We have Forbidden Door coming up all in down the road, all out seemingly right after that, perhaps a number of television specials. We'll see what Tony Khan and AEW can do going forward. So folks, that was the breakdown of NXT and AEW this week after a loaded week last week with podcast after podcast, live show after live show. The Silver King gets to rest his voice for the next few days, but we will be back on Tuesday with our next WWE episode. And then one week from now, same bat time, same bat channel. We will have your next AEW NXT show. On the way out, allow me to remind you that this podcast is all about 
55. So please leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also remember, I happen to love the number five. Please support the show and become an official getting overhead for $5 a month over at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. You get bonus audio and news posts along with your support. We would greatly appreciate that. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, and a lot more. You can DM us and tweet us questions for the show, and we will read them live on the air. But the best way to do it is by hitting us up on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can also email us at gettingoverpod at gmail.com. Thank you all for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We will be back on Tuesday, but at this point, it is time for the Silver King to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.